Thanks for joining us on the Oasis Church Podcast. To find out more about Oasis, visit CelebrateTheJourney.org. During this episode, Pastor Dennis Ritchie shares a great message that will lead you to new and deeper levels with Jesus Christ. So open up a Bible, grab a notebook, or simply listen along. Kingdom principles. Kingdom principles are set within a kingdom by the king for all those who live within the kingdom. Now, each and every person, all of us, no matter culture, no matter geography, no matter society, no matter what faith you are, each and every person lives their life by a set of principles. We, we all have them. A, even right down to our, our daily routines, the, the things that we, or how we handle ourselves at work or, or at, uh, you know, doing hobby, or whatever it is, just, just life in general, we all have a set of principles that we, we live by. And some of us, we have very good, positive principles in our lives that we live by, and, you know, nobody's perfect, and maybe we have some not-so-good ones that still kind of we engage. But we all have this, this framework that we live by. God also has a framework, a standard, a set of principles that he desires for each and every person who is living in his kingdom to live by. And these are, they're, they're life-giving they're meant to give us, they're meant to allow us to enjoy the abundant life that Jesus came to give to us. They guide us when things are going well. They guide us when we're being challenged. When we live according to God's framework, God's principles, we find ourselves living, dare I say, Bonnie, in the rhythm of God. Woo! See, we don't say amen here. We say woo woo. That's what we say. See? Now scripture is filled with them. I mean, if you if you read the Bible with 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 the um, with eyes that are looking for what God is calling us or how God is calling us to live, they seem to jump right off the page. And like I said last week, uh, when Jan Nell was here, he was speaking about these kingdom principles. And I, I just started to read the Bible and to kind of do my own study through the New Testament. Got myself a notebook, and I'm writing down everything that I'm finding. Hopefully someday I'll categorize it. It's, it's become a little bit more than I expected because the, the Scripture is so rich with what God is calling his, and how God is calling his people to live. But it didn't take me long before I got to Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And it is like the rapid-fire of kingdom principle. It's one after another. Jesus is talking about what the kingdom of God looks like, how it is that we are called to live in the kingdom of God. Chapter 5 begins with the blessings. What does a person's life look like who has been blessed by God? What does a person's life look like when God says, yes, now you're moving with me. Now you're living into what I have set up for you. Now you're living in a way that will bring you life. We call them the Beatitudes. And we're going through this series 
of all eight of them, and this week is the second week. In my preparation for this week, I was doing some, you know, reading online, and and, um, there was a story about Mike Wallace, who did an interview with with a, a Jewish man who survived Auschwitz in World War II. I, I can't pronounce his name. It's Yehiel, maybe. I, I'm not quite sure. But he was a survivor of Auschwitz. And in 1961, when Adolf Eichmann was captured in Argentina and brought to Israel to stand trial, this man was to testify at Eichmann's trial. Now, uh, Adolf Eichmann was one of the major masterminds of the Holocaust, that, he, uh, that they were going to eradicate the Jews. So when, when Yehiel, or, or however you pronounce this man's name, when he came into the courtroom, and you can find videos of this online, he came into the courtroom, and there is Eichmann uh, in this uh, bulletproof little glass room with guards. And um, the gentleman walks in, and he sees Eichmann there, and he breaks down and he starts to sob. Now he's, he's um, Mike Wallace has shown him this little video snippet of him breaking down and, and just crying uncontrollably. In fact, he cries so hard that he passes out. And so they, they help him up and, and um, he kind of regained his composure. And he really gave one of the most horrific testimonies um, of the trial about his experience at Auschwitz and what it was like to live in that, in that situation. But Wallace asked him, he goes, you know, wh- what happened to you when you walked in and, and you saw him and you just broke down? What, what was it in you that just started to cry? And his answer, his answer was shocking. It wasn't because he was reminded of uh, what took place or he was saddened or he was fearful. He said what he realized was that Eichmann was not some godlike character that sent all these people to their death. That he was just, what he saw in that box was just an ordinary man like himself. And he realized, he said, reflecting back on this, he realized that in that moment, that he himself was capable of doing the things that Eichmann did. Wallace, he, uh, he summed it up. He, he summed up the story by saying there that, that, that this, this Eichmann, Adolf Eichmann, is in, in all of us. The potential is there. Chuck Colson, later on, during one of his Turning Point episodes, um, he kind of commented on this. And he, he said that the result of Genesis chapter 3, the fall, when humanity rebelled against God, because of that, that sin is in each and every person. Not that we're susceptible to sinning, not we're susceptible to doing bad things, but sin as an entity lives in each and every person. What took place in that courtroom in 1961 was a man that came face to face with the devastation of sin in the world. And here's the tension that we must deal with. We all, as followers of Christ, and even people who don't follow Christ, we are all in need 
to be confronted with our own sin. We need to look at it. We need to come face to face with it. In fact, the the second beatitude in chapter 5, verse 4 of Matthew, Jesus is talking about that very thing, that we are to come face to face with our sin. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Jesus is using a, a paradox. He's causing some tension, and he's doing it in a way that he wants to get our attention. He wants us to kind of stop and think about what's, what's being said here, to take a look at, at our own life. Now remember, this, this is a principle, a life-giving principle, that Jesus tells the people that he's speaking to how the kingdom of God operates. The first beatitude, the second beatitude, they're kind of connected in the way. The first is, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And it's kind of the intellectual pursuit of understanding that separated from Christ, we, have, we are spiritually bankrupt. We have nothing to offer to God. And so it's, it's kind of the, the intellectual side of it. And the second one is more of their emotional response that when we come to realize that we've got nothing, when we come to realize who we are and what we lack, it should stir within us a sense of, of mourning, of grieving. These beatitudes you're going to find are, are definitely spiritual truths, but they're not just to be understood. They're, they're, they're there so that we would press into them, and they prepare us as we move toward the gospel as we move toward the good news that Jesus came to proclaim. They point us to Christ. They point us to the need of Christ, to the cross and to the resurrection. Matt Chandler would say it this way, that on the cross, Jesus, when he died on the cross, he saved us from death. And in the resurrection, Jesus saved us to eternal life. And the Beatitudes are pointing us towards our need of, of God. It reflects back to us what the kingdom is like, who Christ is, who God is in our lives. And if we're honest with ourselves, when we begin to understand who we are, each and every person should be sprinting towards Jesus because he is the only way to life. He is the only way back to God. He is the only way to be reconciled to God. Life today and life eternity. It's more than just knowing the right answers. It's more than just knowing chapter and verse. It's about knowing Jesus. In fact, Jesus would tell the Pharisees, you search the scripture looking for life. He says, here I am, and you're missing me. It's about knowing Christ. So like we did to the first, let's do to the second, and let's try to understand what this doesn't mean. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. First off, Jesus is not saying, blessed are the Eeyore Christians who never smile and always are just bummers to be around. That's in the Greek. He's not telling us, blessed are those who mourn over the difficulties we face in life. Because let's face it, if we were continually 
if we were in a state of mourning over all of the challenges that we face in life, there would never be a smile on anyone's face. Because life can be hard, very hard, very difficult. So he's not saying that we should just go around looking grim and joyless all the time. He's not saying don't get all caught up in in just being um, down about how difficult life is. And so maybe you're asking, well, Dennis, what is he saying there? And thank you for asking that question because that's what I'm here to try to unpack for you. It's a good day when we see the sin in our lives for what it is. It's a good day when we see the sin in our lives for the, the trouble and the devastation it causes to, to our own personal soul and maybe to even those around us. It's a good day because it's only then when we see it that we are ready and open to receive the grace and mercy of God. Sin affects everything. It affects the soul. It affects our words. It affects the way we live and our actions. Paul, in chapter 3 of Romans, he would, he would say it this way. In, in uh, chapter 3, verse 10 and through 12, as it's written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And so he's speaking about the soul there. And then in uh, verses 13 and 14, he's speaking about our words. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. And then he goes to our actions. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and, they, and the way of peace is not known to them. This is the state of our life when we are living a life separated from Jesus. This is, we, this is us living away from God on this constant decline of soul, word, and living. So it's a good day when we come face to face with our sin and we look hard at it. We don't try to rationalize it. We don't try to, we don't try to make excuses for it. You don't try to compare yourself to other people who are much worse than you are. When we come to a place of calling our sin, sin. And when we get to that point where it creates this tension within us, we come to this place of hating it, not hating ourselves, but hating the sin that is within us our hearts can begin to weep. And at that point, the heart of God opens and grace is poured out. Grace is poured out. And as we begin to grieve our own sin, we come, become painfully aware of the sin that's in the world, the brokenness that's, that just takes place over and again in this world. It begins to prick our hearts and we begin to hurt for people who don't know Jesus. Hurt for people who are lost. Hurt for people who are so far away from living within the, the principles that God has given us to, to live in this world. David in Psalm 119, he said, His eyes shed streams of tears because people don't keep the law of God. In Jeremiah, they, they refer to him as the weeping prophets. In chapter 13, he says that he will weep in secret for the sin of pride of the people. 
Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn over their sin and the sins of the world. You know, the idea of grieving or mourning, it's not very popular. It's, it's not something that we, we strive for. The reality of, it, reality of life is laughter is, is good medicine. There's actually studies that show that laughing is healthy for you, for your body, physically, emotionally. I would even say spiritually. Solomon in uh, Proverbs 17 said, A merry heart is good medicine. And so laughter is very important to our well-being, to our emotional well-being, our spiritual well-being, our physical well-being. But sorrow and grieving, not so much. Maybe not on the surface. We tend to structure our lives in a way where we avoid sorrow and we look for amusement. But I wonder if we can overdose on it, being amused. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody laughed at something that they should have really been grieving or crying over? Those who grieve their sin look really weird to people of the world. I read somewhere that Martin Luther, uh, before he gave his heart to Jesus and, and the weight of his sin sunk in and his grieving and his mourning over it, people thought he went insane until he gave his life to Christ. There are some preachers I've seen, especially on TV, that say that if you're a Christian and you got the Holy Spirit, then you should never experience any grief over your sin. You should just walk around with a smile on your face all the time. See, I'm not sure that's biblical. And if you're a, a pastor or a preacher, talking about sin isn't, that's not a seat filler. No one has ever, well, I don't want to say ever. I, there's not many people that I have heard of that walked out of a church where the preacher was preaching on sin and the conviction of sin and was just like, man, that was an awesome sermon today. Unless it was followed by, I'm glad those people were there to hear it. Talking about sin kind of harshes your mellow a little bit. But as followers of Jesus... As followers of Jesus, that journey should shape the things that we cry over and the things that we laugh about. Now, I'm going to say something that I kind of hemmed and hawed about saying, and uh, I tried to soften its edges, but I just couldn't find a better way to say it than just to be kind of direct. That when it comes to our spiritual life, when it comes to the things in our life that help us to mature spiritually, that help us to... Um, to make us spiritually healthy, this idea of mourning, it's, it's not optional. It's a necessity. It's necessary for our salvation. It's necessary for our sanctification, this idea of becoming more like Christ. And here it is. You cannot call yourself a Christian unless you've come to a place of grieving over your sin. And the reason is because how could you repent from something that you don't see as sinful? 
and the kingdom of God is at hand, Jesus said, so repent. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Not yet then. If you've never come to a place of grieving your sin, and I don't just mean the consequences of it, I mean grieving sin itself, you need to take a long, hard look at what's going on in your heart. Blessed are those who mourn. The word used here, it's the word for mourn or mourning means this state of continually being in mourning. It's about a consistent self-evaluation of our hearts. It's about the brokenness that we feel over those parts of our lives that are inconsistent or with, with God or in, in direct contention with the principles that God has laid out for us. Because those things will lead us to repentance. And it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can have the, the strength to turn away from that sin and walk in the other direction. The power of the Spirit. It's how Paul came to, to the place of, after many years preaching the gospel, to call himself still the chief of sinners. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It had consequences. The kingdom belonged to them. Blessed are those who mourn as consequences. For they will be comforted. Now, you know what it doesn't say? It says, blessed are those, it doesn't say, blessed are those who mourn for eventually they're going to be comforted. It doesn't say, blessed are those who mourn because after a while they will be comforted. The way it's written here is that comfort comes immediately. Maybe, maybe a more literal translation would be, blessed are those who are mourners because they will be immediately comforted and be, and be continually comforted after that. The comfort comes immediately when you feel the weight of your sin, the brokenness that's within you of your sin. And the foundation of that comfort is this. Now listen, the foundation of the comfort is you have been forgiven. When you mourn and grieve your sin, it is evidence that you will be comforted and you will be forgiven. Here's the thing. A Jesus follower is the only person in the entire world that is forgiven of their sin. I know that's not popular to say in our day and age, but it's the truth. Only those who profess by faith Jesus is Lord is forgiven of their sin and reconciled back to God. Period. So we know that you know that you're mourning over your sin because you have the comfort of knowing that you've been forgiven. Do you, do you get that? You know that you're grieving over your sin because you have the comfort of knowing God has forgiven you. You know that you've been forgiven because 
sin still is that ugly, dark spot that you hate it being there. And it brings you to sorrow, but in that instant, you're forgiven. And the grace of God is poured out. And that forgiveness is manifest in the way we live our lives. That we are able to proclaim the good news. Not because we're perfect, but because we have been forgiven of our sin. That we recognize that we stand before God with nothing, but in Christ we have everything. That we stand before God without Christ, that we stand with, with filthy rags, but with Christ we are made white, clean. We are giving, we're given new clothes to wear, bright. We have his righteousness because we have none of our own. Blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. Our comfort is, is relational. It comes from the relationship we have with, with the Holy Spirit, with, with God. He is our helper. John chapter 14, Jesus said that the Father will send the advocates, other translations, the helper or the comforter. And it's the Spirit of God that brings joy and the Spirit of God that soothes the sorrow and tells you, man, woman, Christian, blessed are you because of your mourning. You've been forgiven. You've been forgiven. The Holy Spirit is personally involved in each and every one of our lives. And that comfort comes from knowing forgiveness is yours. Restoration is yours. Grace and mercy are yours. So this beatitude leads us to a place of salvation. I've been told sometimes I take things for granted in the context of church, and it's, it's true. I just assume because you're at church that you have a personal relationship with Jesus, and that's just a wrong assumption. And maybe God is working on you right now. Maybe you've never really thought about the brokenness that sin causes within your own heart or within the lives of in the hearts of people around you. Maybe this is the first time that you're feeling the weight and the grieving of a life that's been lived apart from Jesus. That weight is God's grace. That weight is God's grace on you, calling you to come home. Call, his desire is to forgive his desire is to restore you. His desire is to welcome you home. Blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. Maybe you've been a Christian all your life. Most of your life. Part of your life. Since yesterday. And yet, you've noticed that you're just out of sync with the things that God has called, called you to in your life. Right? You've kind of put those principles, those kingdom principles behind you, and you're kind of doing your own thing. Maybe God's working on you, and you're starting to feel the weight of that sin. Blessed are those who mourn, 
comforted. You know, the, the communion table, it's about being saved from, being saved to. It's a remembrance of Jesus. But it's also a great opportunity to take a little bit of time and listen to what God may be saying in your heart. And if you're feeling the weight of something, we're going to have some people standing up here to pray for you before you come to the table. You don't have to, you don't have to come clean unless you want to. But if God is moving and working in you for the first time or for the hundredth time, allow yourself to be prayed for. Don't allow the enemy to whisper in your ear, you don't need to, you don't have to, they'll never understand. It doesn't matter what they say. It's a lie. It's a lie. So I'm going to ask... Um, and ask Bonnie to come on up, please, and, and Jim, and, and uh, the fountains. Would you guys be over in that corner there? And, and Mike, would you come over here? And, and we want to just keep off in the corner as not to try to... Uh, we don't want to make people feel uncomfortable. But mourning is uncomfortable. Blessed are those who mourn. You will be comforted. So, as God releases you to come forward, take the bread and take the cup. Return to your seats. When God releases you to come forward and you feel the need to be comforted, then come to a brother or sister up here and let them pray for you. Allow the Holy Spirit to do the good work in you. So come as you're ready, and we'll take communion together.